This is TDPS. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Um, so today we do bring you another edition of, another installment, I should say, of True Crime TV Club. And it's our first request, right? It is, I don't know if it's our first, it's our first request for a case that right. we've done. Yes, I mean, we've gotten a couple requests for shows that they want us to cover on True uh-huh. Crime TV Club. This was a case that was requested by a party person. But first, we're going to talk about my glasses. Okay. Yeah, because someone hasn't said very much about them. I'm wearing glasses now. This is the first recording session in which I have glasses on. And I was just wondering what you thought of them, Eric Shaw Quinn. Well, it looks like Christopher's getting older. (laughs) He's wearing glasses now, and he wasn't the last time we recorded this. So, you know, time marches mercilessly towards the horizon. Does it make Um, you feel older to see me in glasses? No, not even a little bit. It just (laughs) makes me think that you're catching up. (laughs) But that's not how aging works. (laughs) Um, The thing that's really remarkable is that um, I believe these are the glasses Christopher is supposed to wear when he drives at night. And the lights are on and we're not driving. So I'm not sure even why he's wearing them. But I think he really likes wearing glasses. I really like wearing glasses. I really do. But also... Um, they have an effect. He said that the, our, our eye doctor, because I went to your eye doctor too, um, said that they will have an effect in in any environment, but then in the beginning, if you're not used to wearing glasses, you should wear them for a little while and get accustomed to it. Because there are some weird effects. Like if I look down, some surfaces look Christopher looks like look he's d- directing a Tchaikovsky. I'm doing a lot of hand gestures. Eric likes to make fun of my hand gestures. They don't translate as well on the podcast, I guess, because you can't you see can't them. You can't see them. You're welcome to. Please don't stop. I enjoy them okay, enormously. Okay, Back to hand. These are hand gestures. I'm indicating surfaces that appear curved because of eyeglasses being worn for the first time. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah, totally. That was actually pretty close. Like, we do a whole set of the most enigmatic hand gestures for um, restaurant wait staff. Yes. That are like our symbols for mayonnaise and. Toasted and Bernays, like there's just the most random hand things, and we always laugh about it, but we're incredibly consistent. Do your, we're going to take a picture right now here in studio of your mayonnaise hand gesture. Do it right now. Okay, there is perfect. I'm going to post this. If I forget to post this, party people, yell at us in the comments and I will pop right in. Yeah, I'm heated. I used to go to this place in New Orleans called the Camellia Grill, yeah. and they would put pie on the grill for you if you asked for it heated. And so I have a spatula hand gesture that's like— That looks nothing like there's no spatula yeah. involved. There's no—it's his fist kind of clenched <laughs> sideways going up and down off to the right. It's like, um, okay. Yeah. I don't know what that has to do with heated, but yeah. 
Okay, so uh, we've burned up enough time talking about my eyeglasses. Um, hand gesture. Well, no we opinion. talked about your hand glass, your eyeglasses, which was the point, I yes. believe, of this entire little um, excursion. Yes. Christopher has new glasses, which he thinks are really hot, and he's enjoying your comments about them <laughs> on the internet and his thousands of pictures of himself that he's posted. One. So everybody can drink an entire punch bowl one, at this point. Because one glasses photo so far. There Christopher, has been one well, glasses it's photo been a before. while. By the time this actually plays... <laughs> One suspects. And notice that we have managed to get through this whole time without Eric saying whether or not he actually likes the style of the glasses that I picked because he knows that is a trap and he's not going to wander into it because I did not ask him his opinion before I bought the frame. So he is a smart man who knows me very well. And there we have it. And there we have it. Eric's still smart. That's the main point of this conversation. Smarty pants Eric Sharp. Smarty pants Eric. Okay, so having dispatched with the banter and having made the banter largely about me, once Gotten again. that all out of the way, or Christopher's efforts to dispatch with the banter by making it all about him. Uh, we are going to uh, serve up today an episode of 48 Hours entitled In the Name of Hate. And the episode number is 45, and that is part of season 33, which I believe is the most recent season. All of those episodes are available. It's not. That's it's last not. season. Oh, okay. So it was last season. Which is clear, I think, and I should have known because all the footage we're seeing is of people outdoors unmasked and none of the interviews look COVID-y because those interviews have a look. The socially distanced crime show interview is now a staple of the genre. Um, yes. <laughs> but uh, so those episodes are available on Paramount Plus, but I think you can also stream them for free on CBS.com. So I think there are options out there. But our usual disclaimer, um, we're going to serve it up for you in enough detail that you... If you are in league with Cindy Conforti, our party person, you do not need to watch the episode. We will allegedly do a better job of describing it to you. So. Though the episodes are a lot of fun. And yeah. The, kind of the point of uh, True Crime uh, TV, show, TV Club was said that we would be like a book club. We would all watch the same show and then talk about it. Absolutely. And so that's what we're going to do today. But we're going to start talking about it. So heads up. Spoiler alert. I, I also want to add a disclaimer here that we aren't really, and I'm looking at our record here, we are not the biggest 48 Hours fans. 48 Hours often delivers up an episode of a show that doesn't have a lot of closure. They'll go in on cases when they're still messy and sort of unresolved. It's not exactly the case here with this particular no, story. No, uh, this was much more conclusive, but it, it was a conclusive situation. So, mm -hmm. or, you know, it's not completely done, but yeah. I, I think November... Um, I think also they open their episodes with a teaser that's really spoilery. You know, Dateline is very elliptical when they begin there. They're, it's very and suggestive. That lightning over the Los Angeles skyline. Dun, always dun, like, dun, dun, wow. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. They have the most sort of, uh, the least jazzy. Storm undrong right. uh, kind of lead in. Yeah, it's very, uh, I forget what they call that screaming um, headbanger music where it's like. Yeah, yeah. Don't remember. Heavy metal? No, it's way beyond heavy metal. Way beyond. Oh, oh. Death well, had. Death metal. Death, death metal, metal, maybe. Sounds, yeah. Anyway, old people, old guys describe young people's music here at the podcast. I don't think that's true anymore. I think that's I, yeah, pretty much old people's music at this point. I think young people's music has moved beyond death metal or whatever that is. Yeah, totally. Okay, so th this is. Uh, 
knowing that this is going to spoil some of what we were talking about, the episode opens with a teaser that explains to us that we're in Orange County, California, and a young man named Blaze Bernstein is missing. He has come home from college for winter break, and he has vanished. He has not showed up for an appointment with his mother, which his parents believe is incredibly unusual. And then out of that teaser, we bounce to... 1991, and we are introduced to Blaze's parents, Jeannie and Gideon Bernstein. They welcome the first of three children into their home. That is young Blaze. Uh, They describe him as immediately and magnificently creative, and his mom nicknames him her unicorn. Uh, We're then introduced to Blaze's best friend. She dreamed of that name. She named him Blaze because she dreamed it. Really? Yeah. I was like, because it was like, what an odd name. And they covered it right up front. I was like, well, all right then. Like, hmm. See, I spent enough time in Northern California as a child where Blaze is like, you know, a pretty normal name. Like I went to school with rain and storm and leaf you know, and leaf, apple river. And... Yeah. Yeah. So Blaze <laughs> was like, Rye. right. Absolutely. <laughs> no, now we're going, now we're going East. <laughs> now we're going East coast. Um, we're then introduced to uh, Rhea Rofsky. Uh, she is identified as Blaze's best friend from Orange County School of the Arts, which they repeatedly refer to as OSHA. And I wasn't quite getting how those letters add up to OSHA. I have no idea. Yeah. I, I, it's Orange County School of the Arts. Yeah. Um, and if you went there and can explain to us how that spells OSHA, um, you know, post the, the solution to this anagram on our Facebook page. Because we're, we're actually curious. We can't make it work. Yes. And so uh, we're also introduced to Claire Valu, who is another friend of Blaze's, but Rhea Rofsky is really going to become the most important voice in the episode about Blaze, about his younger life. They were students together at Orange County School of the Arts, but it looked like they were friends from childhood. They show pictures from when they were very young in little Halloween costumes together. Um, they, they all say that he was a listener, that he was very compassionate in addition to being creative, that he wanted to help people that those were his ambitions in life. And then we're introduced to a classmate of theirs named Sam Woodward. And he is described as, in a word, weird, but weird in a way that a lot of people find menacing. These ideas surfaced specifically when a class was studying the play Raisin in the Sun, which I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a classic story of a struggling working class black family uh, in America. Buying a house in a white neighborhood. And I played the horrible white guy. You were in Raisin in the Sun? Not the original production, mind you. Um, I think that was like, you know, like the early (laughs) 50s. But um, yeah, but I did. I played the horrible white guy. What was that like for you? Yeah, let's go let's with not, Sam. Let, yeah, let's not center Eric Jaquin's experience. Let's center on, on Sam here. Yeah. But I just thought it was an interesting experiential contribution. Absolutely. Um, so the class is using loaner scripts, basically, right? Like they're loaned out to the students to read, and Sam turns his back in, and he has written the N-word all over the script. I was like, I heard that, and I was like, how did this guy stay at the how school? How is he still in the school? Yeah. Like, how was that not the end of his career at... Orange County School of the Arts. And it just seems like, okay, and get out. And it may have been because they're a little trunk. Spoiler alert, Sam is going to leave Orange County School of the Arts. This may be what did it, and they're just not clear enough about it. They did not make that clear, but yeah, yeah, I would certainly think it would have been, for me, it would have been plenty. 
Uh, Riorovsky goes on to tell us that Sam was drawing guns in his notebooks all the time. Other students were afraid he would shoot up the school. And so his sophomore year, he does transfer out to, as they describe it, a more traditional school. The type of school where you can write the N-word on Raisin Apparently, in the Sun and, and draw guns. And shoot people. Yeah. But she honestly said that she thought that he would at some point come to school with a gun and yeah. that he would be the lone shooter. Yeah. God. Anyway. Uh, Blaze comes out to Rhea, his best friend. Um, his parents at the same time sense that Blaze might be gay, and they approach him because they are apparently dream parents and say uh, to assure him that they will be accepting of him no matter what. Uh, and then in late summer 2016, Blaze goes off to the University of Pennsylvania, which is an Ivy League school. They interview some college friends of his who reiterate what we've been hearing right along. But now Blaze is determined to go into a profession where he can help people. He wants to be a psychologist who researches the topic of happiness, which is a preoccupation of yours, Eric Schoen. Yes, I'm actually planning a book on yes, the topic. Yes, are you? Well, how interesting. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. more about it in another episode. That's Eric's code for I'm not ready to talk about that book yet. But yes, absolutely. Um Blaze is considering becoming a gourmet chef and considering a career in medicine. He's considering a lot of different ways to be a contribution to society. And then comes winter break 2017. Blaze returns home to Orange County on the morning of January 2nd, 2018 now. We've gone through the New Year's holiday. Uh, Blaze has left the house and his parents don't know where he's gone. They assume at first that he slept in. But he's supposed to meet his mom at a dental appointment, and he doesn't show up, which is very unlike him. Both of his parents immediately uh, panic. They return to the house. When they get to the house, they enter his room. They find his wallet, his retainers, his keys. They're all still there, along with his glasses. They call the Orange County Sheriff. They try to get into his social media accounts, and they're able to get access to his Snapchat and once they're in the account, they discover that he sent his home address to Sam Woodward, the former classmate of his, who was, um, it sounds like, essentially kicked out of OSHA, went to another school. Um, the special in this moment, I think, to build suspense, then cuts to some people who are talking about Blaze's impact on the community. Ra- Rabbi Arnold Brockless claims to have nurtured Blaze's spirit at a local synagogue. Uh, this is sort of the opening for how massive the search became. There's no sign of Blaze, uh, but they have some evidence or suggestion that he went to a place called Borrego Park, which is a wooded kind of open area, but well, with paved pathways. Didn't Sam tell them that? Like, they went, yeah. the police went pretty directly to Sam after they found right. that yeah. he was meeting him through the Snapchat connection, and they asked him, and they said, yeah, yeah they went to Borrego Park, and they hung out, but at some point... That Blaze uh, took off, you know, down one of the hiking trails right. and never came back. And yeah. he doesn't know what became of him, but he he didn't ever see him again after that. And nobody in Blaze's family has ever heard the word Sam Woodward before, the name. And so they're not upset or weirded out. But Rhea, his, his best friend, friend, is like, what the fuck? She was says he, she yeah. knew he was dead from the minute she heard that he went with Sam Woodward. Because she knew he was, quote, a homophobic anti-Semite. So what the hell were they doing? So... What has become of Sam Woodward since he's left OSHA? He's now a college dropout. He's living at home with his parents. And right, as you just described, he was very cooperative with police in the beginning. He gives them the story. Flyers go up all over Orange County. They're even using drones. The search is massive. It's intense. And everybody is looking for Blaze. 
I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. So... The detectives decide, after searching and searching and finding no evidence in Borrego Park, and and I think beyond that, I think the search had extended out into the community, they're going to give one last look to the park. And what happens on that day is that it rains, which is incredibly rare here in Southern California. And sure enough, the rain disturbs a shallow grave, which reveals the body of Blaze Bernstein. As they get closer, they see that he has 19 stab wounds in his neck. Sam Woodward is immediately arrested and charged with murder, and the person murder with the personal use of a knife. I'm not sure I had heard that before. I guess that makes it an aggravating circumstance. I have no idea, but killing somebody with a knife is really... Yeah. Like, shooting somebody is horrible. I'm not saying there's, like, a better version of murdering somebody. Right. But to the proximity... And the intensity with which you would have to attack somebody to kill them with a knife is really, that does seem like an escalation. Mm-hmm. And that's what they, with the 19 stab wounds, it's rage. Right. You have to get close. You have to get yeah. really close. You would have to be standing right next to him or holding him in place or whatever. But And so they begin to do a deep dive into who Sam has become into his internet history, his internet behavior. and they, Oh, and P.S., they found the knife. Yeah, oh, right. Where did they, they found the knife when on they, Sam? They, they, when they searched the house, when right. they arrested him, they had a search warrant, and while they recovered the computer, which I think is going to be key mm-hmm. to one, well, the aspect of the story that 48 Hours primarily covered, um, they also, they did find the knife with blood on it. Also, Blaze's blood was in the, the car. Yeah. So, like, screaming guilty, just a yeah, giant Yeah, there's just sign. absolutely, like, all but a neon sign, a videotape, and a signed confession. And so the, the question is, you know, what was the motive for this crime? You know, did they meet for romantic reasons and Sam lost his shit? But the, the deeper they go into his internet search history, they discover that he had basically fallen under thrall to a group called Adam Waffen which is German for, I guess, atom bomb. Yeah, I think something, or atomic explosion, or something like that. Uh, We're introduced to a woman named Joanna Mendelssohn, who works out at the L.A. office of the Anti-Defamation League, and she basically begins to describe Adam Waffen to us as a small but very virulent neo-Nazi hate group. And he had, uh, I think now we're introduced to Leah and Richard Bernstein, who are Blaze's grandparents, and we learn that Leah Bernstein, his grandmother, is a Holocaust survivor. Who, God. who is now discovering that her beloved grandson, who she adored, was murdered by someone claiming fidelity to this hateful ideology that and sent her to a camp. And as she put it, the Nazis have followed her. Yeah. I just, oh my God. Um, so... 
we're now given kind of a crash course in Adam Waffen. Which I'm not necessarily interested in spending a lot of time on here. I almost hate saying the name of the right. organization because I don't want to offer them any ink or space or whatever. But the point being that they are, I mean, you have as much to say about them as you want sure, to. Sure, sure, yeah. But it really is, you know, this sort of, it, they compared them to ISIS. Right. That they look for um, loners, lonesome mm-hmm. kids, outsiders, people who feel disenfranchised, and they um, appeal to them with their sort of uh, their awful philosophy, but it, but also with a sense of brotherhood and mm-hmm. belonging. Belonging, yeah. There and I guess uh, yeah I don't want to talk to them uh, talk about them a lot either because I feel like in a way it's platforming them because they they thrive off clicks and internet hate. and it was one of the reactions I had to the forty eight hours thing this on forty eight hours this was a story about them like right. Blaze was mentioned Sam was mentioned but their primary focus in the coverage was this they went and got experts on this they showed. Shots, screenshots of this. They talked yeah. about this and whatever. Um, on the flip side, never saw Sam's parents once. No discussion of his home life or any aspect of him. Exactly. Like, and right. it's like, really? So mm-hmm. this is the thing you're going to make this entire story, this this hate crime story is going to be mm-hmm. a promo piece for this horrible hate group? Like, I, I was really, I was put off by that. Yes, and so I was too. I didn't want us to become a mirror of... Of that particular aspect. No, of their and I'm, I'm totally with you. And I think the only thing I will say is that in service of that, what they do, and I think we can really summarize this, they go to another murder case that took place in Virginia where basically a young man named Nick Jompas retweeted some Adam Waffen tweets. The parents of his girlfriend saw this. They forbid him, or forbid her, excuse me, to date him. He drove to their house and shot both of them in front of her. And this was presented as Adam Waffen is coming for your kids. It's an evil pollutant on the internet. It's targeting. Nick is described as having become, because of the result of bullying, because he maybe had some sort of uh, learning impairment, a lonely child on the internet, right? And I thought the exact same thing you were saying. It's like, is this is Adam Waffen is evil. I think their ideology is evil. Is there another link in the chain here that can be more effectively attacked to prevent more people like Blaze Bernstein from being murdered? And it's not about blaming Sam's parents, but what else was going on in Sam's life? What else made him vulnerable to this ideology? I can see an Adam Waffen tweet, and I won't retweet it, and I won't fall under thrall to it. <laughs> you know, like, and there are a lot of people out there who are the same. So yeah, it was almost like. Um, Adam Waffen, it was as though they had covered this hate group as in the way that most of these things would have covered his parents. Right. Yeah. Talked about his home life. Like, not one word yeah. about his home life. Nothing. Yeah. Not a mention of anything. But, you know, privileged kid living in a good-looking, yeah. privileged kid going to this school of the arts, so obviously talented. Right. Because I think it's not... You know, it's not general population. You have to audition for it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So qualified to be there. Like, everything is going for this kid. So, like, what's the downside? What's the thing that has separated him from, was he raised by neo-Nazis? Was, Mm -hmm. were they just particularly horrible and negligent parents? Was he experiencing some sort of mental break? Mm -hmm. None of that was explored at all. Mm -hmm. They just talked about this hate group, which is sort of 
where he wound up and where he felt at home, which is tragic. But um, what made him feel what, at home but there? What made yeah. him feel at home there? I just was, I was really, I was, you know, once again, the, you know, I guess maybe the 48 hour syndrome, but I, I was wanting to see another show about this that might actually cover the story. Yeah. Um, because it really is, I, 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 I feel as you do, like, I mm-hmm. don't understand when they say that it happened with the ISIS situation where, you know, uh, young women, young women in England mm-hmm. would read something online and believe they should pack it all up and go to Syria to be mm-hmm. a, an ISIS wife. Like, what could you possibly say to someone? And from what what kind of place would they be originating from that that would seem appealing to them? Right. I just, I it is very hard for me to wrap my head around that sort of that sort of um, process, that sort of um, connection. I, 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 I don't even know what to call it. The brotherhood thing that they suggested with Sam was the closest that I've gotten, the, the sense of belonging. That I think that's part of it, but I think that's a very frequent cop-out that a lot of, like, there's an, there's an anonymous me- former member who's interviewed who cites that. I think what you're offered is the same thing that all sort of deeply fundamentalist religion offers its adherents, which is, We're going to identify a a small number of pollutants, of toxins, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. We're going to tell you how destroying those things will protect you from their influence and make you ideologically pure and strong. We're going to promise you a fantasy of control that involves um, hostile retaliation with the intent of obliterating a very specific set of things. And... To some degree, because, and I think this is maybe a big selling point, these are the groups that are taking away from you the thing mm-hmm. that you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it is it is feeding into something that somebody already believes, telling them that they're right. Right. And that destroying this group will get you the things that you want, mm-hmm. I think does, I, you know, for... Maybe not the strongest links in the chains, maybe for people who are um, less, um, not as far up on the IQ scale. Right. Um, that might seem believable. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but, you know. <laughs> but it's that, you know, it's a, a major ingredient has got to be internet isolation. Because, I, you know, like I think a lot of us, particularly those of us who abuse social media, um, we can scroll and scroll and scroll and we can start to lose contact with reality and become lost in a narrative that is our mind's attempt to assemble uh, something that draws together everything we're seeing into a story that's really about us. You know, everybody drink. I essentially made it about me again. But, you know, that's that it's that Internet isolation where you start to falsely believe that all these things are really staring well, you back s- at you. You start to look for clues that right. confirm what you already are mm-hmm. thinking rather right. than the other way around. You see it in the movies and those people with the yes. room covered with the clippings red string. and red strings and yeah. all the, the words are circled. They're putting code in the newspapers mm-hmm. and you can see it because all of these words are whatever. It's it's about confirmation. It's about, like, in the end, life is kind of scary. Yes. Because 
we don't actually even understand the process or what happened before it or what happens after it right. or yes. if there is an after it or if there is a before it or all of those things. And you're just sort of it's like freestyle. Here you go. Figure it out or don't. Yeah. And that's, you know, a, that's a do big... your best and end up with the worst possible results like any of those things are possible. It's so many variables and it's kind of terrifying. Yes. And what makes it even more terrifying in this moment is that there's an enormous volume of information that's now available to all of us. And it's overwhelming and it's terrifying and it sends the false message that you should be able to Google everything on your own and learn everything on your own. But the skills and the abilities and the talents to process that information, to prioritize that information, are unevenly distributed throughout the population. That so would we seem can't to just, be true, yes. We can't just abolish school and tell kids, you got a question, go Google it. You know, like that's, you know, that's how we get really dangerous movements in our culture. But and so that's I think it's that sense people revert to tribalism because they need to organize their own thoughts and what feels like the internal chaos in themselves in the face of this just overwhelming river of information and stimulation that the Internet offers. And so apparently Sam did that. So apparently Sam did that. <laughs> Not to oversimplify, but it seems like some sort of synthesis. No effort was made in this particular report to actually make that synthesis, but this was apparently, even though we have not discussed it prior to doing... It's one of the things, I don't know if you all know that, but we don't talk about we don't. the shows before we're on the on recording the show. We have a rule. It's not like we forget to talk, because we forget to do a lot of things around here. Oh my God. But we will not allow ourselves... There are prizes ourselves. from the dinner party show Absolutely. that we still haven't nailed, probably. <laughs> but, and we're sorry. Write us. We'll send them to you. We're not... It's not personal. Um, but yeah, it is... It is... Um, cert- it is... Something that we are obviously having very strong feelings about in the same mm-hmm. in the same moment here. Uh, you know, I I think easily blaming a nebulous thing. It's like blaming violence on video games. It's like blaming violence on rock music. And it's, we are in no way trying to let this hate group off no. the hook. They are horrible and should be obliterated from the face of the earth. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is the more interesting part of this story is how did Sam, a really good looking privileged white White kid from Orange County, California, wind up in the thrall of this this ridiculous um, pack of... um, And I think there's a potential answer that's in the special. It's not really landed on, and I don't even know if they were trying to put it forward, but his first years of adolescence were spent in a high school environment where all of that was not at a premium, that he was in an art school, he was not in the sort of traditional environment that would have said white guys who play sports are the most valuable people here. And so he had to compete on a level footing with everybody else. And he didn't have an automatic buy-in that comes with white privilege and male privilege and all those things. And But that's the part of the story that really baffles me because he was – to be in that school, You it, that's an intention. Mm-hmm. That's like auditioning for a play. It. It, it would be as though he auditioned for a play and then was very upset after being cast in it. Like, right. he wasn't there by accident. He wasn't there because he was a jock. He wasn't there to play football. They don't have a football team at the Orange County School of the Arts. Right. The, he was outside of that environment. He was in a place that he had chosen to be in. Mm-hmm. And he arrived with this sort of, you know, wearing this shit stole. Yeah. Um, maybe he expected to be made a star more easily than he was. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't know, but... Again, none of that was explored in the story, and I don't know how forthcoming Sam has been, but 
clearly they could have asked people around him. Yeah, they really could. Or have. talked to his parents. Yeah. Or looked it up. Unless his parents are not talking to anybody. Yeah, that's a good but you know, question. But they still exist. Yeah. I mean, not even a mention of him having parents. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio Um, when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. And this also brings me to... Another really, I think, salient point, at least in this investigation, but the thing that stood out even more than this situation with Sam, Mm -hmm. um, where was Blaze's gay life? Mm -hmm. Like, his parents clearly had no problem with him. They tried to out him to himself, Mm -hmm. or at least that's what they said, but that didn't seem like there was going to be a big issue. He was at the School of the Arts and Mm then whatever, and there was no evidence. There was we didn't talk to anybody. Mm. In the end, the parents had more contact with gay life than 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 mm-hmm. Sam did because they you know started movements and stuff that we'll get to you know in tribute to Sam after he was gone. A blaze in tribute to Blaze and yeah. Blaze. I'm yeah. sorry. Yes. No. No. No tributes. For no Sam. tributes to Sam. Yeah, yeah. Sam did not. A trial tri- is going to be yes, the tribute in yes. November. Right. It's coming up in November of this year. Um. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. But um, but I think that it you, something you said really leaped out at me. It was the same internet loss. Like, mm-hmm. this was a hookup. Yeah. Like, Sam was home for the holidays. And no, uh, no, Blaze was, was home, home for, for holidays. holidays. Why do I keep doing that? We've been talking yeah. about Sam a bunch. I know, yeah. Blaze was home for the holidays with his family and... There's no boyfriend and no personal life and no indication of one and no other gay people. And so he hooks up with this guy through the Internet mm-hmm. who is a good looking guy. Yeah. Who is we know now Sam Woodward was online trolling for gay men specifically. He had a Tinder profile that said, I'm going hunting. He was out there looking for 
uh, gay guys to do this too. And so somehow he crossed paths with an old classmate of his right. who knew to be who gay. Who he had seen in the halls, who, yeah. yeah. And and, Bla- and Blaze had seen him in the halls, and he was a fine-looking young man. And mm-hmm. so um, he gave him the address and yeah, got him in his car. Him. and he deceived him. And went off to the park to, so I assume that at some point in that kind of like, it wasn't clear if they had actually had sex, if he killed him after having sex with him, which raises a whole other, you know, was Sam some big closet case mm-hmm. who was destroying the evidence right. um, of his own homosexual activity. In which case, Adam often becomes a cover story. Right. You know. But none of this was explored either. But I was really, like, I was really, like, what what forces were shoving Blaze into the closet? Yeah. The friend who said he outed himself to her mm-hmm. said he seemed upset about it when he told her. And I thought, based on what? I, You know, our societal norms still so oppressive that in 2017, a gay young man who's, you know, graduated from the School of the Arts and gone to Penn mm-hmm. still feels like he needs to be in the closet. Is this... Is this really the direction that he, you know, like, why wasn't he going out socializing with gay friends and mm-hmm. meeting gay people? It's no, like, you could be killed just as easily by somebody you met at a bar or a party as mm-hmm. as on the internet. I'm not saying the internet is necessarily, but they didn't really explore that. Like, when the, the masseur was killed by one of her clients that she met on Craigslist, there was a real... The stories about that were about Craigslist. Right. There was sort of a reckoning with, with the dangers but that they were But other than mentioning yeah. that they got the address from Snapchat, there was no further mention of yeah. of Snapchat. You know, like, isn't that the one where you can send people I, pictures of your, it, it, your, your, bit, your personal bits and they disappear? Allegedly. But there have been news anchors who have done tests. They want to see how, I want to see how far this image actually goes after it's taken off of Snapchat. It, I guess it's very similar to an Instagram story, like it's only up for a limited amount of time. But the chat feature, I think, is what we're talking about here. And those chats will live forever, I think. But I don't use Snapchat, so shouldn't be answering this question. But, but yeah. But, and we have no information about it because the report that we just watched did not cover that either. But this, if, this, yeah. how was this Blaze's social outlet? How mm. did this come to be in this life? Uh, once again, privileged, not surrounded by bigotry or anybody who would be shoving him into a closet for any reason that I know of. I mean, I was, the rabbi didn't talk about it, but he also seemed to be fully aware of I have Blaise a very, was. I have a very bland and unimpressive answer, suburbia. And I'm not saying in terms of homophobia. I'm saying in terms of limited social options when you return home to a suburban environment where there aren't... Like, unless he had friends who had gone to school in L.A. that he could go and meet and, to, and go out in West Hollywood, there is a sense that when you go home for the holidays, you tunnel into your room. You tunnel into the internet. I think this is what most people are doing every Friday and Saturday night now. Bars are suffering because, and this was pre-pandemic, because these these young people are not going out the way we used to go out. Like, if we wanted to meet gay people when we were young, we had to go to a bar. That was, period. That was it. That's where they were. But, that you know, you've got the man, general manager of the Abbey here in West Hollywood saying, Grinder is going to kill my business. You know, everybody is on these apps sort of, Chatting and it spills over into the the non hookup social media apps as well. Yeah, and I you know I see the efficiency of the hookup part of it, but what I'm not seeing is, and again, it may just simply be because it was not included in the report because it wasn't about that hate group. Mm-hmm. Um, 
where was the, you know, the friends that he was hanging out? Where were the gay friends? If he went to the Ar- the Orange County School of the Arts, he has a group of gay friends. Mm-hmm. Or he ought to have. And if right. not, what happened? You right. know, and Orange County is not exactly like, while it is suburban, mm-hmm. like it's still part of the greater Los Angeles metropolitan area. So mm-hmm. I have to believe I don't know, but I have to believe that it's not that far to the Boom Boom Room from mm-hmm. wherever he was. I think the Boom Boom Room is closed, but yeah. You, you mean know a what gay, I mean. A gay club, right. Yeah, like, so. Orange County has gay clubs. Like, right. it's not like that's not a possibility. Well, he's or, also 18, right? So he's not He's 21. 19. 19, okay. But yeah, but yes, he's... So, okay, so he's not going to... You know, so he's meeting with the group of gay... I just... The, I Either... There is a really troubling aspect of that for me, or the report left it out. I yeah. don't know which it is. But, but and so the troubling aspect for you is that you you want young gay people to have a fuller social life than that, and to have more social options than just tapping away at the internet late at night. I really do. Yeah, like right. my God, the stuff that you know old gays have put up with over <laughs> the years to to try and clear the way for that to be happening right. like i want him to be at the christmas dance or mm-hmm. have met some cute guy at new years or whatever and maybe he did meet him at new years this report was so you know tunnel vision on the hate group that right. we really never got much information mm-hmm. aside from the sort of posterized version of who these kids were as to who they were and how they wound up in this moment. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. And I think the thing that, that I would say too, is that there was not a single gay, well, that one of the college friends might've been a gay man. We don't know. Maybe. But there was not, there was a queer woman interviewed, Rhea identifies as bisexual, but there is a, I know from my own experience there's, there are information levels that are given out to friends. And the ones who really know what you've been up to as a non-heterosexual men are the other non-heterosexual men in your life. Right. Sometimes you tell the women, but like what my girlfriends knew was way different than what my boyfriends knew. So, and there isn't that interview no. in here. And there was right. no gay people, none. Yeah. I mean, we the gay people we met were at the end of the story and they were interacting with the parents, yeah. not with Blaze. That's an excellent point. I just really was baffled by that. I was like, wow, where is this part of his life? Yeah. Um, I would say the... the fa- Can you imagine like going to no girlfriends or whatever from if it but was a straight all, kid who'd been we, murdered? We've like, seen this too. We've seen interesting things happen when we look at different coverage of the same case. Like we, I hate to keep beating a dead horse. The Henry Diaz hat, hat washing that we've talked about previously yes. where in one special he was at a strip club with women and in the other... The true version, he was actually picking up men outside of an adult bookstore. And I don't know which we're in here. I don't know if this is the fault of... I do know that I was put off by the fact in this report that it was mostly about that hate group Mm -hmm. and very in a very limited way about these kids. They were a way in to talk about the hate group because that was more salacious for them. So it may be that they just left it out or it may be that it wasn't a part of his life. I just don't know which it is. Or it may be that they make do of who is willing, with who is willing to talk to them. Because I think that is really, the thing about the Henry Diaz thing is it was clear that his family disavowed him when that information came clear in the investigation. So they're going to talk to some people or they'll only talk to you on the condition that you portray him as straight. And I think with a young person like this, 
um, the gay boys maybe are like, oh, I'm not talking to 48 hours. You know, like it's everybody starts to get and, real. In Orange County, from the Ar- yeah, Orange County School know. of the Arts. No, I just I don't. It, it's different. <laughs> Airtime. You and I are total camera hogs and mugs. But I'm telling you, the number of people out there that do not want a camera in their face, that do not want to be on, you know, particularly an 18 or 19 year old gay boy. I'm shaking my head and giving him that expression because I, I just a, completely do not believe that. It's sort of like those people on who find out they have superpowers on television shows and then start whining immediately. I just want to have a normal life. Yeah, Nobody well, wants a normal life. Very the, special. The, um, the lottery would not be a thing. That's if people about being just wanted rich, a normal life. But that's about having money. But that's money different. is about having a not a normal life. It allows you to have a life beyond the one that you have. Yeah. Like, there's no reason to buy a lottery ticket if you want to just, you know, go to work and raise your kids and try your best and buy a little But house most people consider a normal life just sitting in front of the television and not having to do what they don't want to do. That's what most people consider a normal I, life. I, I, I guess I have a higher opinion of most people I, than you do. Oh, you will, yeah, you certainly do. Um, okay, but that's not... The point is, is that these store the presentation of these cases in an hour of television comes down to who they can get to talk to them, I, and they're clearly I not. Just, a, there's I not just, a diversity of people talking to them. I here. just really think that they were that they were looking for the sensational aspect of this story. This is like satanic panic. Yes, exactly. This is exactly. like this is the sensational thing. I'm not saying that the that the issue of of lonesome. Um, disenfranchised kids on the internet on the yeah. internet being seduced by these crazy cult groups isn't a problem no of and, course not and it's certainly worthy of a show but I I really found this to be a very um one-sided kind of story that did not particularly focus on like we haven't really had to talk much about the case itself because he was obviously the one, and I mean, we can talk about it. he was arraigned, and he's going to be tried in November officially. Right, and we should say we're recording this in October, or this is going to go up in October of uh, of 2021. So, so we'll we're see a with, month the, before. with the pandemic if yeah. it actually comes to be. But at this point, it looks like the trial will be in November of and I will, 2021. I don't know if you saw this in the show notes. I did go to the L.A. Times to do a little research on what the status of the trial was, and it has been... In, in the opinion of the Orange County Prosecutor's Office, unconscionably delayed. Part of that is the pandemic, but we're talking about a murder that happened in 2018. We're now in 2021. Yeah. Um, the trial was originally scheduled to begin in late June of 2021, but the deputy public defender was assigned to another case verging on a jury trial. The DA acknowledged, as I said, that delay has been four years. It's unconscionable. Woodward, Sam Woodward, is pleading not guilty, and he's been in jail ever since his arrest or excuse me, he has been in jail since bail was revoked. I'm not sure why bail was revoked. Because why would we want to cover but that in the story? What kind of lunatic is pleading not guilty when they have blood, the knife? Blaze's phone, I think, was also found in his car or in the park. It was just, it's like, what is, you were having a knife fight with this little guy in your car? Like, what's the what's the Who story going to be? It was unarmed. Like, it's yeah. just, it's, I, he doesn't have to have a story. Like, yeah. I, that's just. The American justice system, like you plead not guilty and because it's on us to prove that he did it, but it doesn't look like that's going to be a very long walk. No, not at all. But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, this was a glimpse into an Orange County that I was like, this Orange County exists. If you don't know anything about Orange County, California, it is one of the more conservative parts 
of California, or it was until Donald Trump came along. He steadily has had the effect of turning Orange County more and more blue with each subsequent election. (laughs) Because because Republicans in California are not like Republicans. Not all of them. Right. But Arnold Schwarzenegger is more indicative of Republicans in California than Donald Trump. Yeah, and Orange County is also getting steadily less white. Over time, it's the, the there's a Viet, very large Vietnamese community there, a very large Iranian American community there. There, it's getting demographically diverse in ways that it wasn't. But it is when, a very affluent community and um, tends to be um, conservative. Yeah, a yeah, more conservative, I mean conservative kind of environment. Like, yeah, big Prop Eight rallies were mm-hmm. held there and mm-hmm. well attended, and you know, so that was also part of my concern with Blaze's reluctance to be more to have right. more of a gay life was that a, a factor and again but these parents were so liberal and he was, this art school just looked like a dream school i was like god i wish i had gone oh to this school. i've My been to god. that school we i yeah. went there we were auditioning kids for um oh this exact school you yeah to, oh, i cool. actually went to we held auditions there for kids for Oh, was it putting on the hits? I can't remember the name of the show, um, but it was a lip syncing talent show mm-hmm. um, where people came on to pretend to be. I don't think it was Great Pretender. That was the name yeah. of it, um, where kids came on and and yeah, it was amazing. It was yeah. a phenomenal kind of um, environment and and yeah, so everything seems to have been in place for him to be a pretty well self actualized uh, gay kid and. I don't know that he was like, mm-hmm. this is where he went to meet somebody. And uh, mm-hmm. this is who he picked. I mean, the he f- went to high school with him. He must have known. Uh, that's, Do uh, you want to sleep with his bully? Was that the, I know. was that the, that's, that could be a thing. There is a, there is a dark fantasy aspect to that. Particularly, it depends on the story that Sam was giving him. If Sam was saying, I've learned about myself. I'm repentant now. I want to be with you. Or the pictures he sent yeah, him. Yeah. Or the pictures he sent him. Yeah. That's awful. It's an awful story. I remember when it happened, it was all over the news here in L.A. too, because as you pointed out earlier, L.A. is and Orange County are basically this. Yeah, Los and Angeles the Metroplex. search was really the yeah. thing that I remember the most because there was some, you know, there was always the hope that maybe. Yeah. But it was such a like, it just seems so clear from the sidelines that, you know, to kids hooked up when he was home from college and maybe they'd been dating in high school and they hooked up and things went bad or something. As soon as they showed him being marched by the cops, I was like, that motherfucker lured him. This is some fucked up shit. I knew as soon as I saw that fucker's face, Sam Woodward, I mean, I was like, God damn it. Awful. Yeah, yeah, it really was. And Blaze, I kept thinking, tell me if you had the same experience. They kept showing these youthful pictures of of Blaze, and I thought, this is what Ed Koch looked like when he was. Oh a yeah, kid. totally. Yeah, he was totally, so totally. There would be moments when he would smile, and I would see Ed Koch's face. Yeah, totally. But like as the, a the former think, mayor of New York, Ed City. Koch had a great smile. Though. Yeah, that was the thing. He was always Ed Koch was always had whatever you thought of him as a mayor. Like yeah, yeah like totally. Blaze still had. A I hair. thought he was adorable, and I will say they they close out the episode. They go back to the family. Uh, the family has started an organization called Blaze It Forward. Uh, which is um, devoted to raising scholarship money at OSHA. Uh, they renamed the Orange County Pride Parade. I didn't know they had an Orange County Pride Parade. They renamed it for Blaze. 
So and they and it was on a two lane street, so it may not be a very big parade. It didn't look like a very big parade. It looked like a new parade, really. But good for them. But good for them. So like that was the sort of happy note they tried to inject. But mostly it was about the fact that this trial has not happened yet, and uh, it will happen next month. And the parents trying to be aware and make people aware of this kind of organized bigotry and hatred because they were really astonished. Like yeah. the mom said, we're prime targets of organizations mm-hmm. just like this. If if this is really a thing, you know, I I had no idea this existed. And now that I do, I can't unsee it. I, I feel like it's my job to to warn people mm-hmm. that this kind of threat to us exists because they he, apparently the 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 murder was as much about him being Jewish as about was, him being absolutely is about him being gay. It was I can't even remember. There was some horrible term that they had for it that was like you know it was double points or yeah, whatever double for whammy or something something awful, hideous yeah. about you know because he they, he killed a gay guy and a Jewish person at the same time was. And I'm going to say this, too, and I'm not going to try to get us back into it. The other story in Reston, Virginia, really needed its own episode because there was a lot at play in that story because that was really about two retweets. And the and the young man's family said he wasn't really that involved with this group. He retweeted two things from them, and it triggered this nuclear meltdown in this family. So there's a lot there about what it means to be involved with this, what it means to be a young person who brushes up against something that's this dangerous. And, and he can, was also somebody dealing with his own profound mental, mental yeah, issues, mental issues that issues. that were not that were not well addressed, and and it was. The same thing that he had been subjected to in school, the bullying he had been yeah. – when the parents denied him the first person who had ever loved him mm-hmm. because of who he was, yeah. he lost it. And I, lost I'm it. not saying it was okay, but it was yeah. it was a deeper story than they presented it. They just threw it in again as evidence of yeah. you know the, the rise of hate groups in America, which I don't know that I necessarily – do or don't believe in, but I, I thought it was I, it was indiv- it, it was um, emblematic of the way in which this episode was assembled. I think your I think your satanic panic comparison is is apt. I really yeah. do. I, I think this is if it, this is an opportunistic infection that is preying on something pre-existing in some young people that can be dealt with with I don't know a better mental health system. I know that's really glib and sweeping, but there's a lot. The, a lot of other things to talk about here that were not addressed. This was Adam Waffen is coming for your kids. Yeah. This episode was pitched at parents watching at home. It it wasn't. You it was know, sensationalized. Yeah, it I was really sensational. was. I was not. I was not very. I was not impressed with the approach to this particular story. It's a tragic story. I would actually like to know a lot more about it, and I would not recommend that you turn to Forty Eight Hours for that information. Yeah. Eric Shaw Quinn they delivering the truth it. bombs. Okay, let's talk about what we're doing on our next episode. Because what are we doing on our next episode? Not talking about this. We're not talking about this, but we are talking about a case that we have talked about steadily over the past year. This is an unsolved homicide. Oh, you're right. That It's that time of year again. It's the time of year when we observe the sad and tragic anniversary of the murder of William Arnold Newton, who we often call Billy Newton here at the Dinner Party Show, as many of his loved ones did. Over uh, thir- almost 31 years ago now, uh, Billy's remains, his dismembered remains, were found in a dumpster in Hollywood. He was a young gay man. He worked in the adult film industry. His murder has gone unsolved now for over three decades. 
We have many episodes uh, in our library in which we cover the case. We're going to be giving you a review of the case as well as some new information that has come our way on our next episode. If you want to study up, if you will, check out episode 37, 48, 60, 63, and 74. We've We've talked about it a fair amount. We've talked about it a fair amount. And made... I surprisingly actually a little bit of progress. And the biggest thing that we've all we've wanted to do is to call attention to this case and reinterest the authorities in um, stepping up their investigation. And yeah, and we've to some degree we've succeeded. Yeah. We have succeeded in that. We um, we have uh, an interview. Uh, episode 63, which I just listed, contains an interview with LAPD homicide detective John Lamberti, who is now in charge of the case. I think the other thing that we have wanted to do, which we have also accomplished, was get a new generation of people talking about Billy because many of his loved ones are starting to die of old age. His father is no longer with us. His father, who kept up the investigation right. for years, is recently passed away in Wisconsin. Uh, you know, so th- anyway, we will be we will be um, all things Billy next. All week. things Billy uh, in that episode. And again, we know some of you have been asking questions about the state of the investigation, and uh, we'll let you know. We'll where let we you are. know where we are and what we can. Until then, and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice, and I'm Eric Shawquen, and you're listening to TDPS presents Christopher and Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.